Today we're going to finish up in the book of Luke with the marvelous teachings of Jesus. And one of the things that we haven't hit on as much we're going to focus on today is what he teaches about the coming end of this world. And even if it's not the end of this world, he emphasizes that we need to see the shortness of this life, the temporary nature of nations and things like that. And so um, this, is, this is one of the longer sections where he teaches on those themes in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 38. And then um, next, next uh, week we're going to turn to the gospel according to John. And we're going to look at some of what Jesus taught about his own identity. And it's something we need to focus on as we consider Christmas to think about really the amazing claim that he makes that he is the true God coming to this world for the salvation of sinners and how astonishing that is and how wonderful it is. But today, let's look at what he says about the, the end of Jerusalem and then, as we'll see, by extension of the end of the world and Jesus' teaching on this matter. So let's give attention to God's holy word, Luke chapter 21, beginning verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. 
He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, (coughs) this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we hear of your judgment in the earth, we are humbled before you at your might, at your power, at the severity of sin and its destructive force in this world. And yet, um, we also know that we are a part of it. We humbly confess our own sin, our need for your grace, for your mercy, for your strength that we might persevere, for our ability to see the things that we need to see, for we so often just think things will go on forever as they are, but they will not. And so, Lord, we pray that you would awaken us from our slumber and enable us to see things as they are, and so prepare our hearts for your coming and the glory that is to be revealed. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were able to visit the ancient temple in Jerusalem, you would definitely be impressed by it. It was a magnificent structure. And it was not only, you can see some of it today with the western wall that is there and how large the stones are, that's the only remaining part. But then there was all sorts of, of, of an entire building that was connected with it. And sometimes we see these ancient monuments and we think, you know, they're just, we see the stone color. Uh, but these, remember these were filled with, with color and beauty and vibrancy and living plants and so on that would be all around these structures. And so it was really impressive. And you you can easily see how the disciples would look up at this temple and just say, hey, check this out. This is so amazing to see all these things and all these things being dedicated to the glory of God, no less. And Jesus surprises them by saying, by responding to them in verse 6. He says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another, every one of them will be thrown down. And so remember that Jesus here is talking about the destruction of the temple that was made for the worship of God. And he's telling them this beautiful temple that you see that is so huge, so impressive, that is used and dedicated to God is all going to be thrown away. And so they want to know, obviously, well, when is this going to happen? We want to be ready for this. And so understand that that's the context of the disciples' question. And Jesus talks about a variety of things that cause us to to be humbled before God. Some of the big events of the world that make us realize how short our life is, how insignificant we are, how, how, how quickly things can change, how quickly things can turn around. And he talks to them about... Those who are coming to claim to bring salvation. That they are claiming to be the Christ, but are not. 
Then he speaks of the wars and the rumors of wars that are going on. And as you hear about a war, it's something that makes you think, think about your own mortality. Um, I was reading today about um, the, the update from Bob and Andrea Burnham, who are our missionaries to, uh, to Ukraine. They are in Romania now um, it, and for a variety of reasons, but they're helping those refugees from the Ukraine war. And uh, if you don't subscribe to their newsletter, send me an email and I'll forward it to you and then subscribe because it's really interesting to see what's going on there. It's really humbling to see the types of things that they're facing uh, over on that side of the world. But also it's encouraging because you can see some of what God is doing. Is he says the good, he had the, the good things that are happening. He said, cross out good things, the miracles that are happening <laughs> And uh, so I encourage you to, but it's like when you read about that, it does kind of call you back to say, wow, I, I got to think about my life. And that's what he's saying here. There's, the, there's wars, there's, there's rumors of wars, there's nations rising up. Um, he speaks of pestilence, that is when disease comes, famines, earthquakes, all these sorts of things. And then he says in, in the midst of this, there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to come after you. And you can read about that in 12 through 16. He says, they'll seize you, persecute you. they hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors and all account of my name. Precisely describing what happened uh, leading up to the events of the destruction of Jerusalem, as you can read in the book of Acts. It's a very, you could say that's almost a summary of the book of Acts, the, what is happening in the early church. And he says, all these things are going to happen. But this is not yet the end. He says, you'll see a time when you'll know it's the end. And that is when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. Now, just because they were surrounded by armies didn't mean it would be the end necessarily because they might be victorious. But what Jesus is saying is that, no, this is going to be the end for Jerusalem. And indeed, that is what happened in 70 AD under General Titus. After five months of siege, there was a decisive end of the first Jewish war. The walls and the second temple were destroyed. And Jesus' warning to them was, when you see this coming about, that you need to get out. It's going to be terrible. And it was. And if you want to read about it, you can read the historical account of a Jewish uh, man named Josephus, who, who wrote a, a detailed description of what this was like. And it was horrendous. 80,000 carried off as prisoners. As Jesus said, they'll be brought unto the ends of the nation. And they said that Jerusalem's then going to be trampled down until the time of the Gentiles. And a lot of people then wonder, well, what is this time of the Gentiles that Jesus is talking about? Well, one thing um, I can see based on my studies is there is a lot of ideas about it. A lot of ideas about it. One of the things is written, uh, a commentator who I, I regard very, very highly, R.C.H. Lenski, a Lutheran commentator, talking about this um, earlier, in the, earlier in the 20th century. He talked about the Zionist movement that wanted to establish the, the, the nation of Israel again. He says, but they haven't succeeded yet in establishing a nation. And so he seemed to say that that was some confidence. But of course, they did succeed in establishing a nation there. On the other side, you know, I've, I read as growing up a lot of confident statements about it. I was born before 1988, in 1977 in fact. And as a young man, I started taking an interest in prophecy. And I remember very clearly 
that uh, there was a great deal of confidence that, that Christ was going to come back in 1988 uh, because Jesus says this generation will not pass until uh, all these things come about. And they said, so 1948, Israel reestablished, and now there's 40 years, and so that's got to be 1988. And there was even a book written called 1988. Maybe some of you remember that. And he, he not only knew the general year, he knew the exact hour in which it was going to come. And I remember I was in school and I was actually watching that hour because I knew the, that is, and Jesus didn't come back. So one of the things I want to say about prophecy today is that um, it, it is something that requires some humility. Every single generation has confidently plugged into these events, have plugged in the current events of their day into into the words of the Bible. And up until now, they've all been wrong. Now, of course, everybody could say, well, now, I won't be wrong, because now we finally got it. But I would say, maybe we should be a little bit careful. Especially remember how hard it was for the disciples to actually even grasp the changes that were taking place before their eyes when Jesus was there and understand what the scriptures had clearly prophesied and what Jesus clearly prophesied about his own suffering and death. So what we can be assured of is that the times of the Gentiles won't go on forever. It's not going to be just, it's just going on and on. The Lord has a day set to bring it to an end. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But one thing I want to note here is that as we contemplate the, the, some of the big issues of life, when we see things that make us uh, very concerned or scared, when we see wars coming about, when we saw in, in the beginning of March 2020 that you know, the, the pandemic taking over, people shutting down, the, the financial system possibly beginning to seize up, we're wondering, you know, is, you know what's going to happen here? What's going to, to happen to us? Well, that's what the disciples would have been asking. And Jesus wants to reassure them that even though there are going to be very difficult times ahead, that does not mean that they won't be taken care of because God is going to protect his chosen people. He told them and encouraged them that they should have hope in the midst of suffering, that even when people oppose them, that he would give them an opportunity to speak of the glory of God and that he would give them his spirit to give them the exact words they needed to say, words that could not be refuted. He told them that they had hope in God's protection. He says, not a hair will be lost. Now, in some ways we might say that doesn't seem to be true because some of them did die and even Jesus recognized they're going to be put in prison or put to death. I mean, he speaks of that. But what what does he mean, not a hair of your head will be lost? What he's saying is, they can't ultimately harm you. Even if they put you to death, they're raising you to greater glory. You will be taken care of. You're going to see blessedness. You're going to see a glorious finish. Trust in the Lord, hold out with him, and you're going to be taken care of. Jesus is in control. And then finally, he says, there's hope in the redemption of all things. He says, even as you see these big events occurring around Jerusalem, remember, look up, because... Even as the judgment comes, redemption is coming. Your redemption is drawing nigh. And you need to believe that God is restoring all things. As Jesus said in our call to worship today, I'm making all things new. Nothing that is truly good will be lost for us forever. 
God is restoring all things. And so as we look at things, we need to have a different attitude. We should not despair. We should not let us lead us to bitterness. We should not lead, a, lead us to a, a party spirit that is ready to attack everybody around us because they oppose us. We need to have a, a confidence in the trust of God that enables us to love even in the midst of the darkness and testify to the truth of God with humility and gentleness. Jesus, because we can have confidence that even however bad things get, the Lord will be with us, he'll protect us, and he'll lead us to good things. But we recognize that Jesus here is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but uh, yet it also seems to point to something bigger. So the end, we might say, of all things. And so how can this be? Because here he says... He says um, that all these things are going to come about to this generation. He's speaking about Jerusalem. But on the other hand, it sounds like there is something bigger. So how do we, how do we resolve this? Well, how do, we bring, how do we bring together this destruction of Jerusalem that is clearly prophesied and was fulfilled in 70 AD with a bigger picture of the future judgment of the world? Well, once again, let me just underscore that we must do so with humility. And I really caution you on this. Um, is, that, is that when we talk about the book of prophecy, it's so, we're so ready to sometimes go into the details of this. And, and we miss the fact that most people who've done this have been utterly wrong. So one of the books that I read when I was a young man, and even taught on it to my middle school class, was uh, The Late Great Planet Earth by, by Hal Lindsey. Now, Hal Lindsey was, was convinced that the bee, one of the beasts of Revelation was going to be the European Union. And he had proof of this because there were 10 nations in the U- European Union and there's 10 horns on the beast. So obviously, that beast must be the European Union. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that now there's 20-something nations in the European Union, they may add another one before it's over. And so he had confidently stated, this is what the Bible teaches, and, and, and this is what the Bible says about this event, and we can have confidence in that. And he was completely wrong. And I watched him years later, and he just changed the whole story, and it was like a whole different story. And I'm like, isn't there some sense that you just changed the whole, you plug this into a whole different series of events. Now it's the European Union or the Soviet Union. Now it's Islam or whatever. Well, this has been going on a long time. In the Middle Ages, as the, as the year 1000 AD approached, people thought, now this is the end of the world. You know, they had maybe some reason because, I mean, it talks about the thousand years in Revelation. They thought that. So 1000 AD and where Christendom was uh, in Europe, was being invaded by the Magyars, the, the hung, Hungarians, the um, ancestors of Shane Riemann were invading, <laughs> were invading uh, Europe. And, mind you, there were seven tribes, seven tribes in the Magyars. And so they said, man, this has got to be it. This is Gog and Magog come to bring an end to the world. Well, the world didn't end, and on, one, on Christmas Day, 1000 A.D., the, the Magyars had settled down, and King Stephen was crowned the first Christian king of the Magyars and incorporated into the world of Christendom. 
That's the caution we should have. And you know, it's like, I can say these things over and over again, but it still feels like a lot of times you just, and they say, okay, but what, let's turn, open the newspaper, and where is, let's point this into Revelation today. It's like, let's, let's hold off on that. Let's be cautious about that. Now, one of the things that we see here is that if you go back to the Old Testament, you will find that you will find that the, 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 there's a way of speaking about judgments in, in the Bible that refers to specific nations, but also has a reference to a final judgment. In other words, it's almost like a judgment on a specific nation is sort of a recognition that God's judgment is coming on in the earth. And it'll even speak of it in the most apocalyptic terms, like stars falling from the sky, the nations shaking, and so on. You can see this, for example, of Babylon in Isaiah 13, Edom in Isaiah 34, Jerusalem in Jeremiah 4, and Egypt in Ezekiel 32. It's world-ending language, but of course the end of those nations was not the actual end of the world. But it pointed to that, and I think that's precisely how we should understand this passage is that it is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and that the world-ending language does have a reference to Jerusalem, but it also points forward to something greater. That is, that God is going to come and there's a judgment of all nations and there will be an end of all things and there will be a final return of Christ and we will see that he is coming. But what we don't need to do is to say, to plug in the exact events that occurred in this particular instance and then say that's going to happen at the end of the world. We, just like we don't need to do it in the case of Babylon in Isaiah 13, Edom in Isaiah 34, Jerusalem in Jeremiah 4, Egypt in Ezekiel 32. And so in that way, we can also understand what it means by this generation will not pass. Again, a lot of opinions on that, as you can imagine. But I think that if we just take it in the most obvious sense, is Jesus is saying this destruction of Jerusalem is going to happen in this generation, and it did. And so... As uh, one commentator, Albert Barnes, said, it means that until all these things shall be accomplished, until events shall take place which shall be a fulfillment of these words, if there were nothing further intended, he does not mean to exclude the reference to the judgment, that is the final judgment, but to say that the destruction of Jerusalem would be such as to make appropriate the words of the prediction were there nothing beyond. And so we can see... That that's how I see what the Lord is teaching here. And I uh, encourage you to consider it and continue to meditate on it with humility. But you may have some differences with how, I, how I'm reading this. And that's, that's okay. And we can talk about that. But um, what I think is what probably where we, we can agree on, uh, for the most part, is that the, the judgment is coming. And that the world is not going to just go on and on forever. The Lord is going to bring an end to the sin in this world. And he's going to eliminate it. And he's going to come again. He's going to restore all things. And that's one thing that we can all agree on. And so what I want to do is like just conclude this by just giving you some lessons that I think flow out of this that we should consider that are very important for our lives. Not to get caught up in some of the details of the discussion about prophecy um, you know, when will this specific verse fit into this specific thing? But taking the big picture and saying, what does that mean for our lives? So first, uh, life does not go on forever. The world changes. Uh, 
Obviously, there's going to be a big change. Eventually, Christ is going to come back. We don't know when, and he's going to change it all. But in the meantime, you have also little changes and big changes that mean that where things will not be the way that they were. In the case of Jerusalem, they had known this their whole lives. They had known that they had always gone up to the temple. They had seen it. And, and eventually, that no longer came, that was no longer there. And they could no longer go up to the temple. And their life had to change. And it, it, it made a profound change for Christians and Jewish people who were not Christians. They had to rethink what life was without the, what life was and what religion was without the, without the temple. And, and what we're reminded of is that in so many ways, we tend to think that everything's going to go on just as it has been. But it, we have this sort of, just like we get used to, way life is, and it's almost like we don't really believe that things are going to change. Even something as simple as a conversation I had with a woman this week. She was just, we were talking about dogs. And she had had two dogs, one that she expected to die, die, and then the other one, when they brought her to the vet, that had cancer and she didn't know it, and that dog died. And then all of a sudden, the two dogs that she had had that had been part of her life were now gone. And that's a big change. It's a big shift in the, in the family life. It's a sad experience. And so, and so when we see that happening, we recognize that is part of life. The life changes. People change. People move on. Nations change. Uh, things that we hold on to are going to be different. And we should prepare ourselves for that. It's why it's good to meditate on a passage like this. To say it doesn't always stay the same. And we should prepare more in our hearts for those differences than we generally do. Secondly, though, when things get bad, we have hope in the midst of judgment. Jesus confirms them that we have a a solid rock. It's amazing. One of the statements he says, you know, uh, what we're going to talk about next week is how Jesus claims to be the true God who's come into this world. But he says, you know, my words will never pass away. And he he talks of his own words like he would talk of the, the Old Testament, the Bible, the law of God. Because he's putting them on an equal level. But what that means is that we have an assurance, we have a refuge in the midst of these things that we can rely on. We can see that even if we experience some harm, we can see that in another sense, not a hair of our head will perish. In other words, there's no ultimate lasting harm. There's only endless blessing that is ahead of us. And even in the midst of our struggles, we have God will be watching us, protecting us, empowering us, and being with us to enable us to deal with that. And as we see these things, that changes, that in one hand it causes us grief. No doubt they were sad to see the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, that was their nation. But on the other hand, it also points forward to the better things that are coming. Your redemption draws nigh. And so we have hope even in the midst of judgment. And third, we should prepare our hearts We should prepare our hearts. That's what Jesus says in verses 34 through 36. He says, Be careful. Your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. We need to be ready. 
We don't know when the end is coming, whether that's the end for us or the final end of the world or our nation or whatever the case may be. And so we need to give it thought. We need to prepare. And that historically has been one of the purposes of the Advent season, to be a time of self Uh, introspection, to look at ourselves and to think about our lives and to ask ourselves, are we ready to receive the Lord? Now, we can ask it in two ways. One is, we can say, now that the Lord has come, because he's come the first time, what ways do I need to adjust my life, my heart, my thinking in light of his coming? That That is the light of the fact that he has come, demands new priorities, new thoughts, changes what we were doing before may not fit with what his agenda is and we need to be ready to change it but then secondly also to think about that he is coming again and that that demands a certain level of preparation in our hearts that we should say what kind of people do we want to be when the lord comes again where how do we want to meet him do we want to have forgotten him and then gone off and wandered away or do we want to be prepared when he comes to, as it were, meet him in a full run. That's the purpose of Advent. And so as we begin this Advent season, as we begin this Advent season, let me just encourage you to give some thought to those things. To give some thought to what does it mean for my life now that Christ has come? And what does it mean for my life now that he's coming again? How would I live differently in light of those, in those twins' realities? We should consider the shortness of our life, the ending of the world, and prepare to meet the Lord. It's a healthy medicine, and it's an encouragement, because there's also many things that that need to be changed for the better in ourselves and the world, and the promises that Christ is coming to make all things new. So let me just conclude with the words of Isaiah as he talked about the coming of the Lord. He spoke of John the Baptist, and he said, He's a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. Thus may it be. Amen.